This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Chris Palmer, founder and CEO of Supply Kick, an Amazon agency and online retailer. What I love about retail tech is its ability to catapult businesses and transform shopping experiences. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, uh, reporting into you from my living room in New York City as we, we still live a different life. And uh, with me, of course, is Pavan Ball of Bellwether Culture. Hey, Pavan, how are you? And where hey, are you? Yo, what's up, Mark? I am I, I'm reporting in from Marco Island, motherfucker. <laughs> go 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 with the, go with the quick explicit right off the rip, you know. That's right. That's right. You're you're uh you're 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 in Marco Island, Florida. Yes, sir. Right oh, right wow. right next to Naples. Lucky. Yeah, man. I, I snowboarded down here, so I'm I'm here with the family, wife and kid in tow, and we drove down just to kind of get some reprieve from the the gray and the snow up in new york so well, we're you. down here for the month and um you might hear a lot of um kind of romper room styled uh, action in the background at some point is that you or you company <laughs> good, good, good question <laughs> all right unclear uh, at sometimes well we'll see you know we've got a few minutes left of the show so we'll find out anyway uh good to see you uh also with us of course chris palmer of supply kick uh, chris such a pleasure to have you thanks for joining us glad to be here guys i decided to stay in the snow today and i'm coming to you from indianapolis indiana beautiful beautiful uh how much snow did you guys get out there i haven't been following uh indiana's snowfall there's only a couple inches out there right now but it's been cold for a week and it's going to stay cold for a week this polar vortex is making its its home in indianapolis so uh the the bright side is this next weekend uh my family and i plan to go out and play broom ball on the frozen ice ponds um, which is for those that aren't aware it's hockey but with brooms and a ball and a net that sounds like a lot of fun except for the cold part, but Correct. I guess it goes hand in hand. The last time I was outside in a polar vortex, uh, so I came to New York actually, for those who don't know, as an actor originally, and um, one, one, the last time I was in a polar vortex, I was shooting a scene on uh, Blue Bloods, the show Blue Bloods, out in a forest, literally smack dab in the middle of that last big huge polar vortex. It was so insanely cold. I had a giant NYPD winter parka on and all of the warmth stuff that you have. And they had these giant warming coats that in between takes, the people would come over and wrap around you to keep you protected. It was so cold that the normal winter gear was insufficient to protect you. So they had to add an extra layer in between takes. It was crazy. And and um and I kept worrying about like is how does the equipment even function when it's this cold? All right, Chris. Speaking of past, uh, it kind of goes to my the question I'd love to lead off on, and then we're gonna dig definitely into all about what supply kick is and what you do. But looking at your background, I was pretty interested in how someone who and you obviously have had so much career since this time, but. You your education uh, from Purdue University was in building construction management, and you did have concentrations in entrepreneurship and management and accounting, but building construction management, and it got me thinking. What if anything did you take away from that education that still sticks with you today about building construction management? that has allowed you to succeed and conceive and build supply kick where's the through line yeah so i've learned that building a building is very similar to building a business and whether it's construction timelines schedules budgets resources people the same things apply to a company its staff its investors its product um, its its timeline schedule so Thankfully, I, I'm reasonably well set up to succeed when it comes to entrepreneurship. But prior to construction, um, I, I started a landscaping company and then sold it right as I was beginning my bachelor's degree at Purdue. And that affirmed the love I had for building something out of nothing and realizing value in an entrepreneurial sense. 
Beautiful. I have to ask you as a person with a landscaping company, because I also was a co-owner of a landscaping company for years, and we snow plowed. Did you also snow plow in the winter? We snow shovel and snow blow. But when I was okay. 14, when we started that, I had no driver's oh. license. And so oh, okay. snow plows were a little bit far out of reach. And I sold it when I was 19. So technically, I, I had the ability to, but I did not invest in the, uh, the plow. We had a truck, uh, multiple trucks, but we did not do the plowing. Speaking of entrepreneurship, Pavin, he sold his company at 19. Yeah, yeah, no That's big deal. Awesome. I, I'm trying to remember what I was doing at 19. I think I was playing Halo in a dorm room with like six other people in the case of smoke. So. <laughs> same, same, but different. Let's yeah. back up a little bit and let's talk about supply kick. You, you kind of hinted at it in the beginning, uh, intro, introduction and, uh, to what you love about retail tech and so forth. But really, what is supply kick? What is its mission? And perhaps how has it kicked into another gear as we've gone through 2020 and into 21? Well, Supply Kick's mission is to help brands achieve their highest potential online. And we accomplish that through expert strategy and solutions on online marketplaces. We really get excited about storytelling. That's one of the things that I'm most in, in love with. And we love telling the stories of brands on a digital shelf in a digital environment, which is increasingly important in today's day and age. So we help brands that maybe have a solid base and foundation, even in brick and mortar, but lack the time, resources, or expertise to really dominate their respective categories within online marketplaces. You know, for the last, I would say, five or six years, I keep hearing uh, folks saying, oh, you know, you got, you can't, you just can't compete with Amazon. You just can't compete with Amazon. And then ultimately the the conversation changed to how do you leverage Amazon? How do you work with Amazon? And that was all that, that ended up being the prevailing strategy, right, is to switch the mindset and figure out how you can uh, leverage the platform uh, to really build a robust business. Uh, can you can you talk through um, maybe like the consumer sentiment or the brand sentiment? Uh, in terms of uh, how the conversation on your side has switched uh, since starting the company till now? Yeah, Amazon's perception in the mind of a brand owner um, really hasn't been historically very favorable. It's usually been that Amazon is killing my company and it's creating showrooming and, and um, price gouging or, or the reverse of uh, dropping below map pricing. Um, so it's, it's hurting my business. But now there are their entire strategies of businesses that would be described as D direct consumer via Amazon or D to C VA. And it's effectively a brand can use Amazon as a springboard to tap into their hundreds of millions of shoppers whom they have uh, payment info on file for and the seamless shopping experience. They could, they can tap into that massive buyer base build a following, build a, a reputation even in the form of reviews and ratings. And they can use that to then launch themselves into brick and mortar or into their own e-commerce channels at, at greater scale, um, more, more quickly, more successfully. You, you know, like, look, uh, we all know that Amazon's a destination for value shopping, also convenience for the consumer. Um, from the brand perspective, um, depending on what product category you're in, you could feel squeezed, right? And your, your margins just aren't there. So you have to figure out if you're going to be on the platform, if there's other uh, value props that you can um, leverage, such as just the, the pure visibility of being there, right? Uh, is that enough to, to go through that squeeze and that operational bandwidth that it takes to facilitate Amazon? Uh, are there product categories or profiles that you would say are more successful on, on Amazon versus, let's say, a commodity item that can be, you know, purchased essentially anywhere? Amazon's clearly a great destination for commodity shopping, but it's done so much, especially in the last three years, to give brands the storytelling tools that convey a luxury aesthetic to their brand and that it gives them the ability to retain a luxurious or high-end price point. And I've seen a number of brands do that remarkably well. Um, some brands that you know, would be in our fashion space that um, have embraced Amazon. We've got Fry, Gucci, Fossil, Kate Spade. There's, there's many, many brands, even designer fashion brands now. It's still in its earliest stages for fashion within Amazon. There, there is a lingering perception that Amazon is more commoditized or lower end. So 
that is something that's in the process of being overcome, but mainly through video and immersive shopping experiences, Amazon's doing so much to give brands the ability to tell their luxurious story. Chris, I'm curious. Um, I, I understand what you're doing is done in the, the digital space, but do you now, or is it on your roadmap to be able to touch those brands, customers, either in in the packaging or shipping arena or or once the product has been delivered in any physical way or is it completely digital at every point we focus on the ex- the experience of purchasing products online it can extend to packaging and to post purchase follow up that can extend to um um a variety of elements that don't feel purely digital, but they feel more in the, the real world. But we do not today engage in a brick and mortar uh, store environment. Right. But you, for example, just to clarify my question, make sure I understand. So uh, it, that brand has its own packaging. You could have some interface and provide some solutions that might amplify the consumer experience of that packaging to elevate the luxury uh, the perception of luxury or um, or or the experience with that brand by virtue of your so it's not just we will help you sell it but we will help elevate the consumer experience which creates loyal f- customers which elevates sales correct yeah we have the ability to work with a brand to fulfill product in any fa- form or fashion self-fulfilled 3pl using um, amazon's fba or fulfillment by amazon service and so each brand is different. There's no one right, one size fits all strategy. So depending upon the brand's objectives, we can absolutely elevate the perceived value and quality of a shipping box or the content, the contents um, of the box. What are the areas or the points of consideration if I'm going to be selling on Amazon that I need to be, I guess, paying attention to? Like, what are the priority lists when you run through a new brand, whether you're working as a wholesaler or uh or as a representative, um, just selling, uh, you know, for them, uh, you know, doing the performance marketing or whatever it might be. Uh, what are you looking at first in terms of an audit of the the company and how they're positioned? The first thing we look at is what is the company's goal, because Amazon can be used for a variety of different purposes. Some brands are only interested in growing their share of market and acquiring new customers. Other brands are more interested in having a profitable operation. And so if, if profitability is of utmost importance, we primarily view things like advertising through a lens of return on ad spend, ROAS, rather than a advertising cost of sale. Because if you run the advertising cost of sale route, it's most likely that you're going to find yourself being highly unprofitable and paying for growth at the expense of profit. So it's going to start with what is the strategy of the brand? And if they need assistance on that, we entrench ourselves kind of as all of the backend tools that an e-commerce team w- would have access to and, and we dig in, but it starts with the strategy and then the, the, the plan we build follows. Well, well, let's assume profit is the goal. Um, how much work are you doing to identify, you know, that sweet spot of pricing? Um, and, you know, of course, when, when you're working with Amazon, they, they do require their platform to be um, the lowest, you know, potential retail price for that product. Is that correct? Amazon has some pretty strong desires for what they call like price parity of the price that you have a product listed on Amazon for needs to be close to or the same as the price you have on other sites. You can break that that policy, but it comes at an expense of the deterioration of the relationship with Amazon. Amazon has a way of penalizing you for that, which is called buy box suppression and uh, other other not so fun things. So by and large, yes, that is is the case. Yeah, that's a, I mean, you know, the, an, another huge, I guess, worry or concern for, for the brand side has, has always been the um, the protection of the IP or the design of the, the product itself. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, urban legend about um, you know folks seeing a measure of success on Amazon, and then all of a sudden there's an Amazon branded product that looks exactly like it that pops up, let's say, in the near future. Um, how, what's the defensibility over there in terms of what do you what do you how do you answer that concern to your clients? Amazon has more than several hundred of their own private label brands. 
very few of those brands are are actually a, what we would deem a success and going to continue to get a real investment from Amazon. That they they experiment far and wide, but they they really only succeeded in Amazon Basics and a couple other uh, notable internal private label brands. So while that remains a top topic of conversation that's very popular of what if Amazon competes and sells the same product I am, we don't see that in actuality playing out at a scale that should scare most brands. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, th I think that this also comes back to like the client profile of uh, who you're working with and, and how they conduct themselves on the platform or whether the platform's even, you know, uh, the right fit for them. Yeah. Well, it used to be an option, I think, to embrace Amazon. I don't think it's an option anymore. We've got now this year, the prediction is one out of every $2 in the US spent online will get spent on Amazon. And of those one of $2, the majority 60 plus percent is getting spent with third party merchants that are selling on Amazon's platform. So it's too big of an opportunity to miss out on financially. But even if it's not financial, establishing a beachhead for your brand in terms of ratings, reviews, content, just the social proof of being there and having a, a presence on Amazon, it, it is a lubricant to sales and all the other channels uh, that your brand might might exist in. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, similarly, you know, like I'll check out a brand on their Instagram right away just to, to see what their activity looks like, their engagement, um, their content. Yeah, I've, I've done the same on Amazon, actually, almost with every purchase, right? So sometimes I'll just uh, feel like I should buy from the, the you know, the, the retailer's site directly. And then I find out that they're, you know, I'm a Prime member. And then I find out that I have to pay for shipping. And then I go right back to Amazon and purchase it. So it's... Uh, it's, it's a weird catch 22 for brands. I feel, um, it's almost, a, it, it does become a necessity for, for many profiles. Sort of rolling it back a little bit. What would you say if you had someone in an elevator and you found out that they could be a potential customer of yours and they say, well, why would I care about this? What would you tell them? The work that you do is something that almost any business that fits your model should be thinking about why is it just an automatic thing that just everybody needs that fits the profile of you know who your clients would be amazon has become table stakes for brands in the 21st century and it used to just matter to win the physical shelf but now it's just as important to win the digital digital shelf we see successful e-commerce companies um doing this this hybrid of uh, grow market share on Amazon, but then be able to divert that mar that those customers to their own e-commerce, which is usually at a higher profit margin. And so there there is a symbiosis to both your D2C or, re or brick and mortar uh, retail ch channels, as well as then with these marketplace channels. And Amazon is the biggest one that there is, but we're having substantial results right now on Walmart and a whole host of others that are, are in these growth phases right now that, that will make Amazon less of the only market leader, that there will be a lot more that matter here in, in the next five years. Thank you. So that actually brings up an interesting question for me, and maybe it's a misguided one, I'm not sure. But you know, it, with Amazon being such a huge table stakes here, it's so, such a large player in the digital marketplace, um, that certainly means that people put a lot of eggs in that basket and a lot of eggs that are based on the way that Amazon waves its magic, um, uh, its magic wand of, uh, of protocol and, and procedures and rules and, and also just the way that they run their business that makes it profitable for them. And obviously there are, there's always going to be some company that didn't work out for, and most companies it worked out for. Um, and so my question, and I know that part of your business is to help them have a better chance of being on the success side of that equation. But my question is, how do you look at with your customers saying, yeah, Amazon's huge. You gotta be there, but let's be honest, you're smart to diversify your portfolio of what your digital shelf looks like. So how do you balance that like big success over with Amazon, but you need to diversify. So let's help you get you over to other places. What, what What's that conversation like with, with people? How do you, how do you balance, make that balance? I do think every brand is different. You can build a, 
an eight-figure brand, solid eight-figure brand, only on Amazon, dependent upon your category at, at considerable profit margin, and just be content with that as your business. Uh, you can also, though, have Amazon be 10% or less of your overall business and have a heavy strategy of distribution through grocery or big box or other retail channels. Um, I think it, the, it depends on the category. I think we're, we're talking about fashion, and we know that fashion has uh, a lot of, of new product assortments with this changing of the seasons. And so Amazon has usually proven itself to be best for more static evergreen products that are just going to be good sellers for multiple years. So that, that is one thing to consider unique to this industry. But um, the, the percentage of how much sales comes on Amazon versus your own site, you know, a Shopify site or your, your brick and mortar channels, it's, it, there's no one right answer to that. If you run a brick and mortar store, guess what? You have a problem. Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion, and you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated, which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you, is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging, StoryDot supports a quick, contact-free, physical-to-digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www story.com that's www.storidot.com Well, I want to get back to you know your your comment about there are other players. I mean, beyond Walmart, uh, what are you seeing pop up and and what else are you kind of guiding towards right now or keeping track of? I'm, I'm compelled by what Facebook is currently doing to expand its marketplace. It's not there yet, but they're, they're far lower fees. There's a huge audience. It's used as, as kind of the de facto replacement to Craigslist. It's where people go to when they need things, usually locally, but now ever increasing, there are offers from marketplace sellers that can ship products to you in a compelling amount of time. Um, so I think that the comfort factor of using Facebook as a classified source could expand into using it as a general product purchasing source. Um, again, it's not there yet. eBay is going to be there for more niche items. It's just it's never going to go away. Walmart is for sure already there, but Walmart and Amazon are the two that matter the most. But what Target is doing, Target has a closed marketplace, but there are other third parties on it. We think that they would be in a great position to open the doors further and um, uh, really grow substantially. Um, but outside the U.S., there's this Alibaba, and it's worth noting that the Alibaba was the world's largest um, marketplace or e-commerce site before them being surpassed recently by Amazon. And Alibaba has taken the tack of not owning any of their inventory, but strictly being a marketplace where buyers and sellers can come and, and trade. So we, we see Amazon following that same track, by the way, that, that the marketplace is just too profitable of a business segment. Last year, uh, in 2020, Amazon made $80 billion 
in service revenue based upon marketplace. And then the year prior is only 54 billion. So the, the dramatic growth that, that Amazon sees from just this third party side, it, we think they are going to get more and more hooked on third party revenue rather than first party sales. And um, so more and more sites will start to embrace marketplace. Are there any digital re retail platforms that you think are rising stars that despite the behemoth that someone like, you know, Amazon or Alibaba is, and obviously your target Walmarts of the world, uh, that you're, you're, you're keeping your eye on that, that maybe you're not ready to put in front of your, your clients yet, but you think in a year two, five, that may be, a, an important player, whether it be by size or, or by, um, you know, let's call it vertical, um, you know, the way they're going about it or the, or the demographic of consumer that they're serving. Well, Mark, I think, I think uh, to, to jump in, I, yeah. I feel like he just kind of explained that through a little bit, right? I mean, um, we're, we're talking about big names to us, but when in comparison to like an Alibaba or an Amazon, uh, Target or Facebook or, you know, Shopify, they, they just, uh, they aren't necessarily there yet. So, I mean, well, am I right or wrong on that, Chris? Interesting. Yeah, they're definitely not there. I mean, we we would um, advise our clients before going to some of those lesser known developing uh, marketplaces to first consider going global inside the Amazon ecosystem. Amazon in the European Union, Amazon Japan, uh, Amazon Brazil. Um, there, there are so many other geographies of Amazon that are already pretty established and the infrastructure to sell there is compelling. So we think that makes sense first and foremost, but there are beyond target. I, I'm excited for Pinterest, but I really haven't seen them catapult in the way they need to, to be a real player, uh, but their shoppable pins uh, are compelling. Um, we think that Etsy, you know, has a meaningful market share, um, especially for certain categories. Same as with House, H-O-U-Z-Z. It's particularly good for home goods um, or, or people with tools and home improvements. Um, Zulily, Facebook shop, Google shopping, well, I think I, matters. I'm, I'm actually quite, I'm surprised that house makes your, uh, your radar list. I didn't realize they were that large of a player. Uh, again, I don't also concentrate my, my, my attention on uh, the, the home housing area or decor, but you know, uh, less than Wayfair. I don't really know what else is, uh, you know, that large. Yeah. We think houses is, is basically fits the void of Pinterest, but specific to interior decor or home design. And because of its ability to plug in commerce and to make make photos or pins in Pinterest terminology shoppable, when, when a, a photo gets widely shared or added to collections within house and it's shoppable, people are often asking, how can I get that look? And, and it, it fills the product discovery kind of top of funnel piece of, of marketing for home goods oriented brands. Yeah, the, their app is incredible. I've been, a, I've been a part of it for a very long time now. Man, it is getting rowdy in here. It's rowdy. Um, You're right on that romper room. So yeah, well, it's well, up Chris, there. Chris, let me ask you a, a quick uh, question here. You're, if I go on your website, supplykick.com, the very first thing that I see is a statement that says demand more accented from your Amazon strategy. Can you unpack how the work that you do has to go with that idea of demanding more? What, what is there to demand? Uh, how does your work have to do with saying there's stuff out there to get and I, and I should be expecting it? And we're here to help you go get that. As opposed to saying, we have something we can build on top of what's available. You're saying, we, we're here to help part of what I get out of the message. We're here to help you go get stuff that's already there and make sure that you're making the most of it. Is that, am I reading into that right? If you ask many brand owners, I would say, in, especially in the, the small to mid-tier mid uh, space, the, what is their Amazon strategy? The answer that you most often get is, I don't really know, or, you know, we've, we just want to be there, or we're trying to figure it out, or we're still a little unsure. There are very few brands that can very clearly articulate their Amazon strategy and how it correlates to their overall retail strategy. And so we basically serve as the, the expert team that is going to elevate where they're their heads are at in terms of how to maximize the Amazon opportunity. And it's not just a matter of sell there or have some pictures of, of your listing or have a good description or get some reviews. It's all that 
But then it's a lot more about what does your logistical supply chain strategy look like? How do you always stay in stock but not get overstock? And then how do you finance the, the products? What's the best way to move from a payment term? So how do you forecast what future quarters are going to do? So we do kind of the end-to-end A to Z planning and execution to make a brand's presence in marketplaces, namely Amazon, as successful as possible. Uh, can, can you walk me through the the two models that you have? So one is, um, you know, of course, the wholesale side and one is the agency side. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting with the wholesale side, it seems like you're actually buying and selling as a retailer. Um, can you unfold that a bit? Yeah, when we operate as a as a wholesale retailer, we actually partner with the brand really as an extension of their own marketing team, functioning more or less as an entire e-commerce back office so that they don't have to hire five or more people to excel in everything from advertising, SEO, cop- copywriting, logistics, um, creative services. We, we do all that for them and, and more. Um, and then we do buy their product at a wholesale price and then sell it at the agreed upon retail price to stay and commensurate with all of their other retail channels to, li- to align pricing strategy. And then we also align marketing strategy. So if they're doing a TV spot or, uh, or a real Instagram push uh, around a certain campaign, we will coincide that with our efforts on Amazon, either by updating the listing copy um, to reference the other campaign or to run... Um, corresponding advertisements uh, that that tie back to the other campaigns. What goes into that selection process when choosing new brands to actually invest in, like in that capacity? Well, we've identified that the brands that are, are best for the services that Supply Kit can offer are between one and a hundred million in, in revenue. And they're ones that, that lack the time, talent, uh, expertise resource to really maximize this opportunity. And so when we find a, a chance to plug our, our team, which we are 30 employees, they're based in Indianapolis, um, and we've done over $100 million in, in sales on Amazon uh, over our lifetime. Um, so what we can see a brand based upon the quality of their listings, how, how uh, high up they are in the search rankings, um, their share of voice or the share of market within Amazon, we can we can identify a sweet spot for us. Of, hey, we, it would be a really beautiful marriage if we would would t- tie up together. And the wholesale side is really the A to Z solution of we would just end to end, we take care of it all. And then there's this other side, which is agency side. And that's more of a, you're the coach, put us in, in whatever role you need on the field. We'll, we'll play cornerback, we'll play wide receiver, we'll play quarterback. But um, the wholesale side is like, hey, coach, uh, we're going to own the bench and the field and you just kind of be up in the press box and, and make some calls and make sure we're doing the right work for you. You are, you are approaching this as a true strategic partner. You're not a vendor. You're a partner. Yeah. I, I love the analogy also, um, you know, just passing Super Bowl. So well done on the, uh, the, you know, the skybox uh, <laughs> reference, um, which I got crushed on because, you know, I went Mahomes and he couldn't get a pass off. Um, I should have known better not to, um, you know, bet against the goat. Chris, if I'm conceiving a brand that is intended to like my go to market is Amazon. So my priority is going to be fully on strategizing a brand in which will be sold on Amazon. How do I go about doing that? What would you do step by step in terms of identifying that path? So much starts with competitive research, keyword research, assessing the profitability, having a, a launch strategy, which is likely going to be more costly than you may realize. Uh, it will typically consist of uh, giving some products away to accelerate um, reviews. Uh, there's a, a program called Amazon's Early Reviewer Program um, that comes out of cost, but Amazon assists with getting um, giving small incentives, usually in the form of small gift cards or, or credits to use on Amazon to incentivize early shoppers uh, of a listing to leave reviews. So that's one of a variety of tactics, but you need to, uh, to launch well. Amazon basically looks at your pattern with what happens the first two weeks into launching a listing. And what happens during those couple of weeks uh, it dictates a lot of how Amazon slots you into their, their algorithm of how well they'll rank you for given search terms. Now, what type of budget are you planning for? Like what's the strategy in terms of, you know, if you are deploying, things like incentives through Amazon for early reviews and, um, you know, working on some performance marketing within the the platform. How are you analyzing the budget required 
uh, to launch? It's very dependent upon category. If you wanted to place well for a plush cat toy, it'd be a lot easier than placing well for iPhone cases. Uh, there's a lot more search volume that goes into to some categories. And so it's, I, I couldn't give an exact number, but it's in the, the thousands like regardless or potentially tens of thousands. Can can you maybe hone in a little bit and give some some a lens on maybe fashion related? I know you mentioned uh, look Amazon Basics is a beast. Um, so outside of the let's say the the basics category, um, something maybe accessories, whether it be sneakers, um, jewelry, uh, or even just a higher fashion or stylistic expressions. And those categories, um, you're asking about the launch strategy launch strategy more so on on budget like how much does it you know like what does it take to really stand out and accelerate and take advantage to the point where you know you're getting those the velocity of reviews that actually makes a difference and then starts ranking these companies to a place where the place where the visibility makes sense so amazon's search engine refers to the, yeah, the units that are being sold, the revenue it's generating, the conversion rate that it's generating at. Um, and so you've, you've got to win there. You can't, can't launch an item and then have a, a conversion rate of 1% or lower and expect for Amazon to give you much visibility in their search engine results. You've got to be converting um, probably double digits um, and you've got to be generating a substantial amount of revenue for them to have any hope of winning first first page placement. And we find that the first page, it generates the overwhelming majority far in excess of 80%, maybe over 90% of all the sales for a given search term. And so if you're not on page one, you are in this land of irrelevancy. Yeah. And and which is a lot of effort that, you know, potentially um, gets squandered away, right? So it's almost in my mind's eye is you have to go so hard at it because the half-ass or like the halfway uh, effort just does not cut even the slightest bit. Um, it's almost like becoming like trying to be an influencer on a on a social media platform. You have to be so dedicated and consistent to the strategy um, in order to start surfacing um, in search versus you know uh, versus just kind of putting it out there and uh, you know, optimizing, let's say the SEO and the keywords and stuff like that. It, like that's almost not enough. You almost have to hit it with, you know, 10 different, you know, angles. I would fully agree with that. It used to be enough to just have a SEO optimized listing, but then when Amazon rolled out their advertising, which really has only kind of been around for five or six years now, it's, you know, it's not something that they've always done, but now it's a, a what is it? It's a $15 billion or so segment for Amazon. It's, it's huge. And um, the the ability, though, to drive ads and have SEO optimization and probably off-platform traffic from your social media channels or, or um, even YouTube, there's, there's a plenty of uh, off-platform traffic generation sources that you can use to drive traffic into Amazon. And if you, you use the, the direction of pushing things to Amazon for a time, you can actually create a critical mass of uh, visitors to your pages. And as long as they're converting visitors, then that will drive you up in Amazon search rankings and allow you to sustain a higher uh, output from what Amazon kind of universe is generating for you. Yeah, you have to tip basically um, their incentive, right? So if they're incentivized or they're making more money on the ad dollars rolling in, then they're going to just bang you out for ad dollars, right? To, to get to those points. But if they're making money on the fact that you're selling shit, then great. You know, they're going to let you fly with it. And it, and it makes sense. It's just, uh, you know, I think that people need to understand that there is that critical mass and there is that huge shove that you need to give in order to get to a place where your brand can live there um, on kind of, let, let's say, on pilot control, you know? Um, it's just, it's so difficult to get to that point. And I'm assuming a lot of your work, um, you know, is is focused around uh, creating the strategy to uh, essentially push that button where you're 30,000 feet and, you know, sitting back and having a cup of Joe while the plane's flying. Correct. And again, every piece has to work together because if you have dynamite advertising and spot on SEO optimization, but you run out of stock, that you have no inventory left, it, it's irrelevant. 
Well, well yeah. So then, so, how how are you working with the three PLs or the the you know the the supply chain side of these brands to make sure that they're they're set up for success and they don't you know they're not now wasting their resources on activating and then oh shit they got what they wanted they can't now fulfill it the promises so what happens in that case for the past several years we've been building our own in-house technology suite of proprietary solutions that allows us to use technology to our advantage and one of those solutions is around inventory management and forecasting kind of demand planning and so we're able to set really clear expectations with the brand, at what they can expect either upon launching to Amazon or just sustaining the operations throughout a calendar year and how the demand fluctuations uh, will require different inventory levels throughout the year. What's the historical data that you're using? Is that all in-house data based on you know the 100 million plus sales that you've accomplished over the, you know the tenure of the company, or is that stuff that is um, that is also you know combined with you know public or purchase data? both. We've got a lot of uh, the foundational work of that from real data that we have, but then there are a variety of publicly available sources and APIs that we can stitch that together and uh, build a, a model around. That's cool. Have you launched that already, that tech? Is that something that's already uh, supporting some of your clients? Yeah, that tech's already in place, but it, it supports our clients on a proprietary internal view right now. There's, yeah. We haven't made any of that available to the public. Chris, you're holding back on us, man. What what else you got up your <laughs> sleeves over there? What what else fancy things are you guys messing around with? Yeah, we're we're doing a lot on the technology side this year. Actually, uh, really excited about uh, optimizing ad spend. We find that advertising is exciting if it gets your results, but uh, most brands that I've talked with that have uh, dabbled in advertising have said, "Yeah, it's great, but it lo- it's losing me money. It is costing me an arm and a leg." And so, if I could do it advertising but still be profitable, that'd be a totally different scenario. And so we've gotten really good after spending multiple millions of dollars on advertising in the last couple of years that uh, we have been able to dial, um, you know, the, the right ad strategies for uh, a brand's goal. And if profitability is the goal, we've got a solution for you. And one of the things I'll just give right now is a, f- a phenomenal high return on investment spend with ads on Amazon is what's called sponsored brand video. And sponsored brand video allows you to, to, have a spot, a video spot about your brand or your products that appears within a search results page that somebody might search for, like I mentioned earlier, a dog toy or cat toy. And they're seeing all the the products that Amazon surfaces, but then in the, the results, yeah. there is a video that auto plays. Yeah, that could I've be seen them. I've seen them. They're great. And interestingly, shoppers who watch videos on Amazon are 3.6 times more likely to purchase that product. Totally. So video I believe continues it continues to be the medium that matters most. Oh my God. I have to ask you this. So this is the craziest coincidence or it's just uh, your technology at work. I have no idea, but I, I'm, I'm assuming coincidence. So we're here renting, um, you know, a bit of a beach house uh, for the month as mentioned. And in that they have a utility wagon uh, in their garage on the wall. And we've been using this utility wagon uh, to go to the beach every single day. I, I, I put in all the chairs, I put in uh, the cooler, I put in the baby sometimes, throw her in there, and we're, you know, we're just kind of um, crushing through the sand uh, with that thing. And it's the same damn utility wagon that's on your homepage. Uh, I've never <laughs> seen this thing in my life before. It's same color, same structure. It's the same fucking product. So, like, uh, is that a... Um, uh, a product of happenstance or is that uh, it, it now is it doing one of those things where it saw my Instagram and your homepage now has optimized for me? <laughs> I wish we could say we, we knew where you were staying and what products were in, in your garage. It's drones, pub, and it's drones. I, I mean, so that's what it is. Okay, happenstance. No. I, I'm, I, I was floored when I went to your website. I was like, I've never seen this product before. Of course, it makes sense. I'm not a, like I don't live on the beach, right? Generally, so uh, I know that these things exist, but it was the exact same one. Um, I would, I would assume that these wagons come in like forty different varieties and brands, and if that, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. It, they come in a great deal of varieties, but we have a ex- exclusive right to a number of those varieties. So depending upon what color it is, I could tell you whether or not that's exactly ours. And so whoever bought that, they got it from Supply Kick on Amazon. Dude, it's that exact color. It is that product. There is no yeah. difference on uh, uh, of the product at all from what I'm seeing. 
Well, that makes me happy that your homeowners that you're renting from are, have been supply kit customers. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's a brand called Max Sports. And uh, it's one of over 100 different brands that we represent. Um, if in the baby land, there's a brand called Bumbo that makes seats for babies. Yeah, so got those. Popular. Yeah, got that too, um, of course. Did you rent that home through like Airbnb yeah, or yeah, some, some Airbnb. online yeah, yeah. thing? Okay. Absolutely. So somehow somebody, somebody, something digitally understands that right now you are attached to that address. That address is attached to a purchase somewhere and says, hey, if you're renting that address, maybe there's kids involved. It's well, got to be. I mean, that that's – I mean, I was – my head would have exploded if that was the case, Mark. Yeah. Don't count it out, yeah. Bobby. <laughs> Full I'm on. still saying drones. Yeah. yeah I'm still saying drones. Dynamically update our site based upon all that data. That yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Come on, Chris. Just claim it, Chris. Cr- Just claim Chris, it. Chris, it's, yeah. right. it's a 2021 initiative, I guess. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to off-the-grid questions now where we get a little more personal with Chris with a a lightning round of one of our favorite parts of the show, off-the-grid questions right after this. Culture starts at the top and great customer experience The only competitive strategy in today's world is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid, with Fashion Is Your Business. All right, Chris, uh, this is where we get personal. We ask questions that are a little more personal in nature, a little more off the grid. We, as always, determine the order of who goes first as Pavan and I both jostle for maybe second position. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, with a spin of our Wheel of Grid Destiny, see who comes up. So I'm going to give the wheel a big spin. And uh, round and round she goes, and she lands on me. Okay, so uh, lucky me, I get to ask the first question. So, Chris, uh, what I'd love to know is what is the last thing that you remember finding on the internet yourself in your own consumer journey that you came across by accident? You said, I cannot believe this thing exists and I must have it. Doesn't matter if you bought it or not. It just matters that you knew you wanted it. It was probably earlier today, and it is a <laughs> collapsible travel hammock. It has a frame and allows you to be at top of the Grand Canyon and just unbox it, and it, you've got a beautiful hammock with a, a frame to it, and you can put it in your backpack. Uh, I was like, "Yep, for the for the right trip, that would be amazing." Wow, so you're a big hiker or a big outdoorsman? Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of my life backpacking and spending time in the backcountry and, and mountains. And my favorite spot for that is Patagonia. I used to live in Chile in South America and have been to Patagonia wow. three times. So yeah, anything that enhances a backcountry experience is is on my wish list. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that something like that existed. Well, uh, you know, you can dream. Everyone's yeah. got goals, Chris. How can they use this thing? <laughs> that's awesome. All right, another quick spin of the wheel. And, um, yep, it's popping. Yeah, so Chris, actually, I wanted to stay on the um, the active uh, side of things. So uh, in your frame, of course, our listeners can't see it, but you have a, a bike that uh, just is peaking out the, the most perfect amount. Uh, prior to, to pressing record today, uh, you know, we, we talked briefly about, um, you know, getting back on, uh, on a snowboard and haven't had the time uh, this year. Uh, I'm I'm wondering how and that, and now you're mentioning back uh, backcountry. Um, I mean that is that's another level, you know, uh, whether it's uh, backcountry skiing or otherwise and hiking. 
Uh, I'm wondering how sports and recreation has uh, played a story in your in your life, and if you could kind of like you know outline it. It seems quite important to you currently. So, hmm. well, the most impactful sports experience has probably been playing the, on the varsity tennis team back in high school, and we finished second in state my senior year. And what, what I learned there about teamwork and that we don't win a, as a single unit, but we win together as a team. It's taught me a lot about how to operate on a company basis. Um, I think the the mentality of consistency, consistency uh, all the time, rather than just one-time star performance. I think that there's beauty in the faithfulness of doing what must be done, learning to love doing what must be done, even if that's an uncomfortable, you know, uh, three a day, you know, workout or something. Um, we, you just, you got to commit to the work uh, to become an expert at something. So that's that's been significant. But then the bike behind me is actually part of a larger story that I completed a half Ironman triathlon just two summers ago, and have c- continued um, to stay fit and active with the running, biking, and swimming. And I had gotten to the point, though, that I, I put on a ton of extra weight. I got really out of shape. And then I just committed that uh, there's, a, there's a brevity of life that I want to learn to count my days. And life's not going to be around forever. I don't want to say I'll get in shape when I'm, when I'm 60. I'd rather uh, get after that in my 30s now uh, and, and not lose that fitness. And so um, there is, there's a story there of uh, the endurance sports, um, really endurance to me doesn't actually kick in until things get hard. And so when I'm able to dig deep at, you know, five or six hours in on a triathlon, it, it allows me to dig deep when things like 2020 happen in business and uh, we all go on a roller coaster ride that gets hard and an endurance becomes critically important. And you also get a sense of your own level of determination that you're capable of and know that it's been there for what could be seemingly harder challenges so you know it's in you yeah chris yeah, I knew, I, chris i knew that that bike wasn't a prop and and the fact that it uh you know it, it, it <laughs> wasn't it it set up a story is what it, it did it, it uncovers a, a story of a, a half iron man is is unbelievable Where, where'd you do that was it lake placid or where'd you uh where'd you compete that would have been beautiful no i did the one closest to us in indiana in Muncie, indiana that's incredible man congratulations mm-hmm. that takes a lot of grit yeah, that's great well, I'm excited for you to run the other half, uh, hopefully sooner versus later. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not making fun. I think it's amazing you did that. So, uh, Chris, uh, how can people connect either with you directly or obviously with Supply Kick in a way that would be useful? Yeah, supplykick.com uh, goes to, to connect with uh, the company, and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, send me a message in any way. I should be very reachable online. Awesome. Well, Chris Palmer with Supply Kick, uh, certainly a, a company I hope a lot of people will, will check out. Congratulations on everything you've built. And uh, we look forward to seeing everything that comes from here. I think this is chapter one. So uh, best of luck. Sounds good. All right. That's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business, everybody. So happy you made it all the way to the end with us. Uh, We'll see you next week for another episode. We appreciate you joining us. Until then, for my friend Puffin Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Thank you.